0: for Jeff this morning. Father, thank you for Jeff. Thank you for Wilma. Thank you for bringing them to us. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for using him in our midst. We pray, Heavenly Father, as we pray in every missions conference, that the things that are spoken here would continue to en- envision us, continue to motivate us as a church, to continue on in the mission you've given us. Father, we know that you have called us to be a mission-sending church. And we want to be faithful to that call. We pray that all the things that are spoken here today would advance that cause. We thank you for Jeff. We ask you to use him, give him great clarity as he speaks. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you, Bill. Well, God bless you all. It is, We've really had a great week. Wilma, my wife, as Bill mentions, down here in the front. She's the delightful one. I just kind of hang around her and get a lot of the overflow from her but we just have such had such a great time this week and like I say it's been 30 years I was uh, last time I was here at TCF we had a great time Johan companion and I were here and then I was going to fly back to Dallas and then back to California where we were living at the time and got to Dallas fine and then a line of thunderstorms blew through and got stuck on the runway for six hours overnight in Dallas. So I'm still a little traumatized. So we actually we actually drove to the conference this week just to avoid any of those issues. But the Lord was really gracious. And it's really it's a pleasure with we've known Gordon and Sue for well, I've known Gordon for 30 years now. And he's been the one that's kept the connection with us, which we are so grateful for. And so we're privileged to be a part of all that's going on here and to get get to know Bill and many of your elders this week and others of you in the church. This is really a special place. And we have felt The work of the spirit here and just rejoiced in seeing what God has been doing through the many, many decades, literally, of missions work and local ministry and all kinds of things that he is doing. We are we are really grateful to see what God is doing and just feel just a small just a privilege, I guess, to be a small part this week to encourage you. So I hope we can encourage you again this morning as we continue in our partnership with with TCF. What a blessing it is. In uh, just a moment, I'm going to show you a short video of Brother Andrew. Uh, We have, at Open Doors, we have seven core values that Brother Andrew and the leadership team established formally several years ago. And this is a short, almost three minute video of Brother Andrew talking about our first core value. It's called We are part of the body of Christ, a people to people, people. It's grammatically challenging. But it really works, and Brother Andrew wanted it that way, so it's one of those things. I just hope as you listen to it you'll you'll hear maybe the Lord will speak to you through one of the one or two of the things that Brother Andrew says because they're going to lead into some of the things I want to share with you as well. So let me see if I can get this started okay we 're going to this is called our first core value we 're part of the body of Christ, a people to people people.
1: open doors is part of the body of Christ but what that really means we haven't even dug it up yet it's so deep so wide so big the body of Christ is more than a denomination is more than what we call the church it's all those in the world who believe on the lord jesus christ whatever race color background level of education makes no difference you and I belong to the body of Christ and there is only one body, as the scripture says, one faith, one baptism, one body. And it has such tremendously strong implications for whoever recognizes that body of Christ worldwide. It means I am also responsible for every part of the body worldwide. And that is an awesome thought. But that's what the Bible says. The apostle explains in 1 Corinthians 12, if anywhere in that worldwide body of Christ, wherever a member of that body is suffering, then the whole body suffers with it. As long as that is not the case, we have a tremendous task as open doors to educate the rest of the body of Christ because they can only be helped and sustained in the measure in which we identify with their pain, not necessarily, again, their need. Out of that, of course, follows that we are a people-to-people organization. We aim at people, not at, say, buildings or structures or organizations. We aim at people. When we started first our magazine, I insisted from the beginning, the front page should always be a face, the face of a person, but never this face, a face that we serve somewhere. Because if you cannot love people, then then we have no, no ministry. I remember my enthusiasm the first time I met a group of believers in a communist country. The pastor got up and he said those words, Andrew, Your being here means more than 10 of the best sermons. I knew I couldn't preach, let alone a good sermon, but I could be there. Easy. Anybody of you can be here. So whatever I did, anybody can do. Everybody who hears me, sees me, you can do the same because I have no qualifications being there. And then let God take over and encourage the believers. And again, then you are in the people-to-people ministry. You don't have to stand in the pulpit to deliver a big sermon. Be there. It means more. And it has more value.
0: Brother Andrew is still with us. He's 93 years old. He lives in the Netherlands, where he's always lived. Uh, not too much involved in direct day-to-day activities and open doors but still around occasionally taking appointments he's physically frail so I would encourage you to pray for him Uh, his wife passed away a few years ago mentally he's still pretty sharp but uh, you know has that physical fatigue that comes with his age and some of the things he's dealing with but still just such a dear brother and as I've seen that video many times and every time he says whatever I did you can do I go come on that's not true come on but but what he's talking about is we can all be there Wherever God wants us to be, we can be there. That's all he did. He just showed up. But I think one of the statements he said that really spoke to me the most, he says, we identify with people in their pain, not necessarily their need. That's worth thinking about. It takes, it's easier to, to meet people in their need, and we need to be doing that. But staying long enough, to being there long enough to identify with their pain, that's another level of ministry. And that's something we want to do with the persecuted church is just be there. Uh, when, I was a, when I was a freshman in high school, I grew up, a I grew up in North Texas in a little town called Bowie. 4,000 people, very rural community, small high school. When I was a freshman in high school, my older brother Danny drowned. He was a U.S. Marine and he was stationed in the Philippines. He had fought in Vietnam and then he'd gotten transferred to the Philippines and just tragically died during an accidental drowning. And of course, being in the Philippines, that, that kind of adds complexity to funerals because it took two weeks for his body to get back to the States. And so you kind of go through the initial grief and then you recover a little bit and then the body comes back and you go through the whole thing again. And and for a 15-year-old, that was difficult enough and my, my brothers my other brother and two sisters, but of course my parents obviously suffered the most. <coughs> and I, I often thought about them, I watched them as they walked through that really difficult time, but about 30 years after Danny's death, he died in 1969, probably about 30 years later, <coughs> I, was, I was sitting talking to my mother in, in Bowie, we'd come back to visit her, and we just got to talking about that, those weeks around my brother's death. And I looked at my mother and I said, Mother, do you remember much about that time? It just seems like a big blur to me. And she says, yeah, it feels that way to me. And we talked a little bit about it. And then she said something I'll never forget. She says, you know I It was a small town, just like I'm sure it is even here in Tulsa. While we were there, people came in and out of our house bringing food and all kinds of things from the church and just really took good care of us. She says, you know, I remember... I remember probably most of the people who came to our house in those weeks after we learned of Danny's death. But she said, you know what really struck me? She says, I really remember several people who didn't come. And she didn't say it with any sense of bitterness. This was 30 years later. My mom was a real gracious lady. And she just says, I remember somebody, some who didn't come. And and she knew why. I mean, it's an awkward situation Uh, you don't always know what to do or what to say. It's such a tragic thing. But she remembered those who didn't come. And when she said that, I just felt in my heart that I should, I just felt this compulsion that I always wanted to be there, even if I thought it was an awkward situation. I know you've lost people here this week in this last few weeks, but it's important that we be there for each other. And I think that's one of the things I appreciate about TCF is you really are there for each other in the difficult times, and that's something to cherish but we need to be there. Wherever God calls us to be, whether it's locally here or around the world, that's where we need to be, is there where God wants us. Amen? Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to Second Chronicles 28. 2 Chronicles 28. I don't think I have ever preached a message on the persecuted church out of Second Chronicles. <coughs> Those of you who know the Bible probably understand why, but... <coughs> Excuse me decades ago i heard a preacher i think you'd say half jokingly say he was convinced that god put things in the bible while he was asleep <laughs> now i've read through the old testament many times i've read through second chronicles many times but recently as i was reading through it i had this same feeling about what i recently read in chapter 28 second chronicles 28 now, if you look at the, I don't know what version you're reading in, we're going to look at some of these passages on the screen in a moment, but if you look at the first four verses of Second Chronicles 28, it tells us about a king of Judah named Ahaz, the king of the southern part of the divided kingdom of Israel. And it says he was 20 years old when he became king, and he reigned for 16 years in Judah. But it says he was an evil king who worshipped idols and he even burned his sons in the fire, which was a very pagan, pagan, sacrificial thing to do. And obviously, God was not pleased, which we're going to see how displeased he was with that. In fact, it's an understatement. So when you get to verses five through eight, you read several things about what God did in relation to Judah and Ahaz's sin, what he got allowed because of Ahaz's pagan rule. One of the things God allowed was that he allowed Judah to be attacked by the king of Aram, which is present-day Syria, and carried off a large number of Judah's people. Verses 5 through 8 there. He also, God allowed the king of Israel at the time to attack Judah and kill 120,000 of Judah's soldiers. Can you imagine that? 120,000 soldiers killed In one day. And not only that. But 200,000 women and children. (coughs) 200,000 women and children. Were carried off as captives. 120,000 soldiers were killed. And 200,000 women and children. Were carried off as captives. Along with all the plunder. That went with that. And this army of Israel. Their plan was to make all these women and children slaves. Even though they were essentially their relatives. Fellow Israelites. Just different sides of the kingdom. What they didn't plan for was a very courageous may, man, a prophet of God, named Oded, O D E D. Look at this passage in Second Chronicles 28, or, or read along with me if it's too small. I'm going to read from the large print version here on my podium, but and also from the New Living Translation. That's what you see on the screen. Here's what it says in Second Chronicles 28, 9 through 11. But a prophet of the Lord named Odin was there in Samaria, that's Israel, northern part of Israel, when the army of Israel returned home. He went out to meet them and said, The Lord, the God of your ancestors, was angry with Judah and let you defeat them. But you've gone too far, killing them without mercy. And all heaven is disturbed. And now you're planning to make slaves of these people from Judah and Jerusalem. What about your own sins against the Lord your God? Listen to me and return these prisoners you've taken, for they are your own relatives. Watch out, because now the Lord's fierce anger has been turned against you. I tell you, Oded is one of my new favorite Bible characters, at least for a few weeks till somebody else comes along. But I want to tell you three reasons why Oded is my new favorite character. First, it's this. Oded was courageous in the Lord. He was courageous in the Lord. He did not shy away from confrontation. When this vast, brutal army of Israel returned in vic- from, vic- from their victory over Judah, Oded didn't text. He didn't email. He didn't send his assistant. He faced them face to face with a word from God. One man against a whole army. Can you envision it? Thousands and thousands of brutal soldiers. This one man, Oded, stands up, face to face. It's hard to know where that kind of courage comes from. If I were to title this message, I think I'd just call it "Face to Face," because that's where the that's where the cutting edge of ministry always is, face to face with people. It starts with being face to face with Jesus, getting to know Him intimately. Walking in the power of his spirit and in the overflow of his spirit, being face to face with those he's called us to minister to and to serve wherever God has called you. And that's where that courage comes from. That's where it's possible to do what Brother Andrew did, just like he's doing it, to be there wherever we need to be. God can give us the courage. Early in my ministry with Open Doors, I made several trips behind the Iron Curtain to take Bibles. If you've read God Smuggler, you know that's how Open Doors began. Brother Andrew traveling behind the Iron Curtain to take Bibles to the churches there who were in very much need of support, of Bibles, of encouragement, of presence, ministry. And I had an opportunity to do that several times. And the first trip I made behind the Iron Curtain was to Czechoslovakia, which is now the Czech Republic. Things have changed there quite a bit. But we were going to Czechoslovakia. It was 1982. It was very difficult to get into the country. It was a communist country, and the church was very oppressed. But we were taking Bibles in a, in a trailer that we were pulling and had some secret compartments. And I still remember when our, I had two colleagues, one an American and one from England, and as we left our compound in the Netherlands where all these vehicles were located that we would take to Eastern Europe and the Soviet Union, well, I remember we were pulling out of the compound, and as we were pulling out, the man who had been briefing us and preparing us for the trip This was my first trip. He yelled at us as we pulled out of the compound. He says, Hey, brothers, I am praying for you. Which was great. We wanted him to. And he said, But just remember, if you're caught at the Czechoslovakian border with those Bibles, it's an automatic year in prison. Well, thank you for that. (laughs) Some people just have the gift of encouragement, don't they? Just the right time. Well, we kept going. Thank the Lord. We camped in West Germany. It was West Germany at the time on our way to the Czech border. And that night while we were asleep in our little camper, I woke up. And I was literally paralyzed with fear. I was paralyzed physically. I felt emotionally paralyzed. It was dark. My two colleagues were near me, and I could hear them breathing, but I could not move. I was so afraid of what might happen at that border the next day. And the the oppression was so thick you could cut through it. And finally, I don't know how long it was, but finally, I began to pray. And gradually, the oppression lifted. And I literally fell back to sleep. So the next morning, when we were all awake and we were kind of having our little breakfast before we were going to pray and head to the the border, uh, I just told them the story of what had happened. And I thought these guys would be so full of concern and compassion for me. I just thought they were going to gather around and encourage me and pray. But you know what happened? Our team leader got right in my face. And he says, if that ever happens to you again, you wake us up. Because we are in this battle together. That's a good word for the church of Jesus Christ. If you think you're alone, you're not. There's people around you, and you may have to wake them up. But they'll stand with you. They will. You may have to go get them. They may not know what you're going through. But that's how the body of Christ operates. We are in this spiritual battle. You find courage in Jesus and you find it in your brothers and sisters and your co-workers and your fellow soldiers in the battle. Don't miss it. Oded was courageous. And we're going to see that happen. Even more than that, Oded was conscious of the Lord. And that may sound a little bit strange, but Oded was a person who knew who his God was. He knew who his God was and he knew God was paying attention. Do you ever feel like God's not paying attention? Let me encourage you, he always is. He is always paying attention. The army of Israel wasn't victorious over Judah because they were more powerful, but because God was orchestrating events for his own purposes and he was using them. Look at what it says in 2 Chronicles 28.9. The Lord, the God of your ancestors was angry with Judah and he let you defeat them. God was orchestrating things for his purposes. But the army in their bloodlust, I mean, I don't know how this works, but they were so bloodthirsty. They they went farther than what God wanted them to do. And here's what it says. But you've gone too far killing them without mercy and all heaven Is disturbed. Now that is quite a statement. All heaven is disturbed, but what one of the things it means is that God is not some impotent, uninterested observer of world events. He sees everything that's going on, and he's working things out for his own purposes. Now I don't completely understand what it means by all heaven is disturbed, but what I do know, it means that there's a much thinner line between heaven and earth than we realize. Much thinner line between heaven and earth than we realize. And we need to keep that in mind. A few years ago, at our office in California, we had a man visit us named Joseph Bondarenko. That's Brother Andrew on the left and Joseph on the right. Joseph was a prisoner in the Soviet Union in the 1980s. He was a, a very strong evangelist, he was known for a while as the Billy Graham of Russia. He was imprisoned on three different occasions for a total of 10 years. And he was one of those people that we prayed for in Open Doors, and I'm sure a lot of you did, because we had lists of prisoners in the Soviet Union, Christian prisoners, and we prayed for them. And we had prayed for Joseph. And now he lives in Southern California with his daughter. And he came to visit our office, and we had a little reception, and Brother Andrew was there. And when he came into the office, I was there, and Wilma was there. And so when Joseph came in, I I took Wilma over and introduced her to him, and I said something, and Wilma said something simple like, "I'm so pleased to meet you." When you were in prison, we prayed for you. And strangely, Joseph looked at her and he said, "No, we've we've met." And Wilma said, "No, I'm I'm sure we haven't met." And this with this great look of kindness, he looked at her and he said, "No, we've met." When you prayed for me, we shook hands. May God open our eyes to see things so clearly in the spiritual world of what's going on. We can be there in a lot of different ways and prayer is key. We may not feel like we're there, but we're there making a difference. You know, I know these have been difficult times for a lot of people. I know COVID has been difficult. I know this church has had a difficult week or a few weeks with some of the losses you've had. Life can be difficult. But I don't really think God is disturbed about COVID. I think he's using it for his own purposes. If I had to guess today what God and all heaven might be disturbed about, at least one thing I'm sure of is that he would... God in heaven is disturbed about how the persecuted body of Christ is being treated around the world. Or maybe I should say mistreated. And when I think of it that way, I have to ask myself, how concerned am I? And I'm really talking to myself. And I know Wilma and I ask this question of ourselves sometimes. How concerned am I about my persecuted brothers and sisters, parts of the body of Christ that are suffering for their faith? I know God is concerned, even disturbed about what he sees and the inhumanity that happens and those who are martyred. And yet I know he's using it in some mysterious way. Uh, I worked closely with Brother Andrew for many, many years. We talked on the phone quite often, me from my office in California and him from his office in the Netherlands when I wasn't there, when he wasn't in, in our country. And I remember it seems like every time we'd talk, which was probably on average about once a week, he would always guide our conversation to some place in the scriptures which was really cool i mean just such a privilege to think back talking with brother andrew about the scriptures and we did it quite often and i remember one time we got to talking about the parable of the lost sheep in luke 15 joel i think you talked about it last week in your sermon a little bit and uh, got me to thinking about it again and we were talking about the parable of the lost sheep and you know the parable there's a shepherd he has a hundred sheep one gets lost, and the shepherd goes out and searches high and low until he finds it. He brings the sheep back. He has a big party, just like they party in heaven every time somebody gets saved. That's the point of the parable. And so as Brother and I, brother Andrew and I were talking about it, he looked at me. I mean, he looked at me. He was talking. He says, now, Jeff, why do you think the shepherd searched so hard for that one lost sheep? Well, I mean, it, it seemed pretty clear. Um that was his job i'm sure he loved the sheep he was their shepherd so he did it i thought that was a good answer brother and said well yeah but no why did he search so hard for that one lost sheep and i'm struggling a little bit now this is brother andrew i'm time to come up with a good answer Looked pretty good or whatever whatever it was i don't know i says well a uh, the parable just doesn't really work without that. <laughs> just kind of a stupid answer, but it's all I could think of. Uh, and he laughed and he said, "Yes, but uh, no." He says, "Why did the shepherd search so hard for that one lost sheep?" And I just said, "Brother Andrew, I don't know. Why did the shepherd search so hard for that one lost sheep?" But I'll never forget his answer. He said, "So the other ninety-nine would know if they were ever lost." he would search just his heart for them. Is that powerful or what? That's us. We're the other 99. And he's always searching to and fro throughout the whole Lord, the whole world to show himself strong on those whose heart is perfect toward him. He's searching all the time. He's the great shepherd. Thomas R. Kelly once said, he said for the, his heart, talking about Jesus, he said for his heart is a shepherd's heart And he is restless until he holds his sheep in his arms. That's us. That's our Jesus. Oded was courageous in the Lord. He was courageous in the Lord. And he was conscious of the Lord. And one third, another thing I just want to share with you. Oded was compassionate before the Lord. What was compassionate before the Lord. You sense his care, even as he bluntly tells these soldiers the truth of what's going on. Here's what he says. Second Chronicles 10, 11, and 12 say this. Now, and now you are planning to make slaves slaves of these people from Judah and Jerusalem. What about your own sins against the Lord your God? Listen to me and return these prisoners you have taken, for they are your own relatives. Watch out, because now the Lord's fierce anger has been turned against you. You know, Oded didn't threaten in some kind of pious legalism that he was going to call down fire from heaven because of their sin. He called them to repent and to make this right. He gave them a way out of this mess. That's real truth. When we when we share truth with compassion, that's living out our faith before our fellow man. That's living out our faith in truth and love and hope that people can buy into. What an amazing man this man Oded it, it is. He really worked hard, even though he knew the consequences. He wanted to see this army repent. When I was in, uh, I think it was January of nineteen, I mean twenty eleven. Wilma and I were in Cairo. Uh, you may re- that date may mean something to you. We were in Cairo, and we were staying in a hotel. And we woke up one morning, and we turned on the television because it had, a, it had a television had an international uh, news station. that was in English. So we turned on the television just to see what was going on around the world, January 2011. And when we did, we could see riots taking place somewhere. It wasn't immediately clear where it was. And then their little crawler came on and said it was Tunisia which is also in northern Africa, along with Egypt. And it turned out if you remember those days, that was the beginning of what was known as the Arab Spring. When a number of protests took place throughout the Arab world because of government corruption and economic stagnation and all the things that they were dealing with and the government didn't seem to be doing anything about. So we were watching that going, wow, that's not too far away. I mean, it was a ways as far as uh, miles go, but still North Africa, and that's where we were. But later on, we went to, to uh, visit with our partners in, in Cairo there, and we were talking with them, and they had all seen the news, that same news that morning, and they were concerned about what was happening in Tunisia and what might happen. And I still remember as we were sitting there, one of our team there in, in Cairo was kind of looking around, looking around everybody, and it was quiet, and he said, that he was talking about Tunisia and the riots there, and he said, that will come here to Cairo. We need to prepare the church. Wow, what a prophetic word. That will come here to Cairo. We need to prepare the church. And it did come to Cairo. I and mean, this is just one of many pictures. We were in some of these places walking around three weeks earlier before riots started in Tahrir Square in central Cairo. And there's one of the biggest churches in the Middle East is just about a block away from the square. So it was it was a dangerous time for the church. And they did prepare... They were ready when the protest started in Cairo three weeks after Wilma and I had left the country. But they didn't prepare by hiding. They didn't figure out where they could go when things got difficult. They didn't hide. They prayed, they prepared, and they planned on ways to minister to the crowds when they knew the riots were going to break out. In the midst of that violence, the church was there. And I can tell you, many lives were changed because they t- had the courage to know who their God was and to step out in that courage to minister, even though it could have been costly. And as a result, the many lives were changed, and the church was strengthened as well, as you can imagine, in the midst of that. I want you to look at something. When you get to this chapter and toward the end of Second Chronicles 28, look at this passage. This is one of the cool things that happened. We tend to think of these prophets who kind of stand up alone, Look at what happens here. Verses 12 to 15, it says, Then some of the leaders of Israel, and I just put four men in there. If you're looking at your Bible, they're all listed there along with their fathers and most of the names I can't pronounce. So I'm just going to say four men. Some of the leaders of Israel, four men that are mentioned, agreed with what Odin had said. It said they agreed with this and confronted the men returning from battle. Said you must not bring the prisoners here, they declared. We cannot afford to add to our sins and guilt. Our guilt is already great, and the Lord's fierce anger is already turned against Israel. So the warriors released the prisoners and handed over the plunder in the sight of the leaders and the people. I mean, these four men, along with Oda, they confront the army, and the army just says, Okay, here, here they are. We were wrong. Do what you want. That's pretty cool. That's quite a miraculous turnaround. It goes on. And it says, then the four men just mentioned by name came forward and distributed clothes from the plunder to the prisoners who were naked. They provided clothing and sandals to wear. They gave them enough food and drink, dressed their wounds with olive oil. And they put those who were weak on donkeys and took all the prisoners back to their own people in Jericho, the city of Palms. Then they returned to Samaria. These four men, and probably with some help with Odin and maybe some others, they took these 200,000 women and children, they marched them, marched them. They took them 40 miles back from Samaria to Jericho, and they literally gave them their lives back. That's standing for truth with compassion, in courage. Oded was courageous in the Lord. I keep saying it. But we can be too. Oded was conscious of the Lord. He knew who his God was. He knew he could trust him. Oded was compassionate before the Lord, and you'll see my fourth point there that I kind of put in today's terms. One Christian standing for righteousness in the powerful name of Jesus can turn an impossible situation around. And that person will give other Christians the courage to do what's right. You may think you're alone, but when you stand up in the name of Jesus, you're going to find there's a lot of others who will stand up with you and stand together in the battle that you might face because it can be difficult. A number of years ago, I was in uh, Indonesia with a colleague of mine and we were visiting dozens of pastors whose churches had been burned in on the island of Java in Indonesia. And there just happened to be a time where a lot of, there were a lot of Muslim riots taking place for different reasons and the churches were easy targets. They were buildings. And so when a riot would take place, often it was the church that was the first place that would be attacked. And we were meeting at least 10 different pastors who had their churches burned during this time in Indonesia. And one specifically, one pastor was on the, near a city called Situbondo on the island of Java. Uh, his church had been completely destroyed. And so we spent some time with him, tried to encourage him. We asked him about the days immediately after a fire. We were there about six months after all these attacks had taken place. And he told us how he went back to his church after the ashes had cooled and he had the opportunity to start sifting through just to see if he could find anything that could be taken care of or that wasn't burned and there wasn't much that was like that. And he told us he was sifting through the rubble and he saw what looked like a book and he kind of picked it up and he was brushing it off. Obviously, it's covered with ash and he wasn't sure if it was even valuable or not and so he, he took the book and he put it up, brushed it off and he looked at it and, and the title was Remaining Steadfast in Persecution. Remaining Steadfast in Persecution. Well, he just said, well, thank you, Lord. And he kept sifting through the rubble and turning over the ashes and he found a Bible and he picked it up and brushed it off. Everything was cool by this time. But, and it had been, the edges had been seared by the flames. Otherwise, the Bible was intact. He could tell it was okay, but he just couldn't open it. So he began to, he began to pull on it. You know, it was really stuck together because of the way the, the edges had been seared together. And finally, it just broke open. And he looked down, and the verse that was underlined was 2 Timothy 3.12, which says, All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And he's funny. He was a funny guy. He looked up. He said, I looked up in the heaven with a little chuckle and I said, Lord, are you trying to tell me something? <laughs> Some of us, the Lord has to do more to get our attention than others. But we're all a little bit hard headed, aren't we, when it comes to listening to the Lord? But he's always working to get our attention. And I think he's trying to tell us today that As part of the body of Christ, our brothers and sisters are suffering for their faith around the world. And through our prayers and through our action and whatever God calls you to do, you can meet them face to face, whether it's through prayer, whether it's through your travels, through your giving, whatever it is, that's part of being face to face with the persecuted church. And we can help strengthen them to be all that God wants them to be where they are. They may not always be able to come to us. Sometimes they can but often we can go to them through our prayers and through our presence ministry of different types. You know, thank God that there are many stories of victory. A few of them I've told you today and told you this week, and you've heard over and over here at Tulsa Christian Fellowship. But I tell you, for one, for every story of victory, for every story of miraculous intervention, there are at least a hundred, if not a thousand, stories of endurance. We like to hear the victory stories and we need those for encouragement. But always remember when you hear a story of a great miracle, of a deliverance and somehow that behind that is a hundred or a thousand stories of Christians who have just endured in faith, held firm to their faith in the midst of great struggle. And part of the reason they can do that is because of you and me standing with them in prayer. You know, one one prophet named Oded in an obscure little passage in Second Chronicles 28 um, made a difference. You've often heard that that probably that saying that one person with a, one person with God is a majority. You ever heard that? I, I never liked that. I mean, God by Himself is a majority. He did not really need one person along with Him. But I understand what it means: one person or many persons or a congregation aligned with God and His purposes. Can do amazing things around the world. You know, Oded, he was courageous. He could have easily been killed by these army soldiers. They were bloodthirsty, they didn't have to listen to him. But he still stood up, even at a possibly great cost. He could have literally been, well, he could have literally been, oh, dead. <laughs> I mean, let's face it, if that helps you remember it. I could ha- and it can happen to us for standing up for the name of Jesus. That's, that's in the Lord's hands. But you know, Oded knew his life was in God God's hands. And whatever the call is on your life today to minister here in Tulsa, maybe to go someplace else around the world, just to go across the street, to start reading your Bible more faithfully, spending time with Jesus, whatever that call is, you sense the Holy Spirit is moving on to you today. Just remember that that's the safest place that you can be. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Your majesty. We worship you today. You are the ruler over the kings of the earth. You create the whole you created the whole universe and you have given us the privilege of partnering with you and strengthening our persecuted brothers around the world and strengthening each other as we do that. What a joy. Although we know it can be dangerous whether it's here in Tulsa or anywhere around the world, it can be dangerous. And yet there's no better place to be. It's just walking with you wherever you are, allowing you to work through us to change lives and to change ours as we do that. We are so grateful for your care for us, Lord. I'm so grateful for these brothers and sisters in in this congregation. Lord, I bless them in your name, Lord Jesus. And I pray you'll continue to protect them from the evil one. You'll give them real clarity of, a vision for what you've called them to do. You'll pour out a heart of compassion and courage on each one to stand up for truth and to share it with a heart of love and hope so that others will be drawn to you. Lord, that's what we're all about is sharing the good news. Thank you, Lord, that we've been reminded of it today and all the things we've done in communion and worship. We're just so grateful for being part of your body. So would you continue to draw us together and help us to walk faithfully with you for the glory of your name. Pray in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen, Bill.